Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series this week, A Vision for Christmas. So let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8, verses 9 to 22, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Isaiah's Confident Remnant. once said, and it's recorded in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Well, according to Jesus, those who would find the way of life would be the minority. See, that's both fascinating and sobering. Are we to assume that, you know, we're here at Christmas time now, that Jesus came as the Savior of the world, but that the majority would not see or understand or think that his coming was valuable at all? Well, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus taught. And that seems sobering. But I suppose it might also be hopeful. In spite of human rebellion against God, there will be those who will find the path of life. God's light will not flicker out in this dark world. Isaiah uses a word, and it's the word remnant. And he uses that word more than once, and indeed, it's one of the themes of Isaiah. Isaiah 10, verse 22 says, For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. I hope you hear that. It sounds at the same time both ominous and hopeful. Isaiah 37, verses 31 and 2. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Hmm, a remnant. I wonder if you know that the Apostle Paul spoke that very way in Romans 9:27. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved a remnant, a group that's left over. Now today, in our ongoing study of Isaiah's Christmas, we come to a passage that speaks about something we've already heard about. In Isaiah chapter 6, after Isaiah saw his vision of God, and after he answered the call of God to be a prophet, we heard that God told Isaiah to keep on preaching, but the people wouldn't listen. Isaiah would preach until the hearts of the people were hard and resistant. And then in chapter 7, we saw Isaiah making a grand offer to the king of Judah. Ask for a sign, he says to the king. If you can't get yourself to believe in God, then hear this. God is making you an unusual offer. He's going to give you a sign. All you need to do is ask. Make it as hard as you can. God wants you to trust him. You only need to look for him. For salvation from enemies comes from God. But of course, we saw that King Ahaz was not interested in looking to God. I'm not interested in a sign, he says. I'm way more interested in creating a political alliance with the very evil and powerful empire of Assyria. I want nothing to do with God. And then we saw that God rejected Ahaz. And in place, he offered the entire earth a sign. One day, a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And with this sign, the world would come to know that God was with them. They would know that God came to save them from their enemies, and they could have their sins forgiven. All of that is a part of how Isaiah, over 700 years before Christ, speaks of the coming of Christmas. But now today, 
We're back to the days of King Ahaz and the people of Judah in his days. Remember, the royal house of Ahaz is in the process, rather than trusting in God, they're making a treaty with the very powerful and dangerous empire of Assyria. We come now to Isaiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Now, Isaiah here is changing his audience. He's no longer speaking to King Ahaz. He now has a message for the believing community, for the faithful people who are left in Judah. This is the believing minority. This is the remnant. And what he says is that God is with us. The remnant might feel insignificant and outnumbered, but they need to take courage. God is with us. That's the meaning of Emmanuel. I want you to consider the words of Jesus, and it's recorded in Luke 12. The context of Jesus' teaching is to encourage his disciples not to be anxious about anything. God's going to take care of you, says Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God, then all other things are going to be added to you as well. And then in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's that very message that Isaiah is here giving the believing remnant community in Judah. The nations around Judah are going to increase their military power. They will all form the same kind of alliances that King Ahaz has just formed with a powerful nation of Assyria. But everything he plans will come to nothing. On the other hand, God is with his believing remnant. You know, I'm sometimes, as a Canadian Christian, I'm surprised by the lack of confidence I sometimes find among fellow believers. I see plenty of hand-wringing among us. I I see worry about how our culture seems to be drifting into ever-increasing levels of faithlessness to our Creator. I see many concerned that our nation has abandoned its Christian underpinnings. I hear about how that's going to affect our children, but I don't hear words of Christmas. Emmanuel, God is with us. Do not fear, little flock. We may look small, and we might even look powerless. But we only look that way when we haven't seen Isaiah's vision, God is seated on the throne. Did we really think that the council of the nations would be the deciding factor of history? Did we really think the Assyrian Empire would survive? Or let me ask you another question. Where now is Assyria? Where now is Babylonia? Where now is the ancient, unstoppable Roman army? And then add to those questions another one. Where now are those who trusted in God? Have they endured while all the others have fallen? Yeah, that's exactly the case. They've endured. Why is that? Because of Emmanuel, because God has spoken to us. Let's keep reading. Isaiah 8, 11 to 15. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the ways of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor is holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. Now that last line, seal the teaching among my disciples, well, that tells us that Isaiah had a little flock. It was a small group of followers. 
And this small group kept the scrolls of Isaiah's teaching, the word that came directly from God. In in short, this small group had something that was more powerful than the great political alliances around them, the armies that walked around. This group had a word of Scripture. Same with us. We have the Bible. Now, if you look carefully at verse 12, notice it begins with the words, do not call conspiracy. The Hebrew actually says, you, you don't say there's a conspiracy. Now, the word you is plural. Isaiah is addressing his followers, those who believe. I have something to say to the faithful remnant. Well, what does Isaiah want his followers to know? Well, in verse 12, he tells them not to call conspiracy everything the culture around them calls a conspiracy. So let's stop here. We know that many years after Isaiah, in another time, the Babylonian army had surrounded Jerusalem. Jeremiah the prophet in that later time would counsel the people of Jerusalem. He would say, go out and surrender to the Babylonians. In that way, you won't be slaughtered by the sword. And in response, the king of Judah and the noblemen in the country charged Jeremiah with conspiracy. He was collaborating, they said, with the enemy. He's a traitor and he needs to die. Now go back to Isaiah. Isaiah in his day is telling the kingdom of Ahaz, don't form an alliance with the king of Assyria. And because he was saying that, the royal household was lashing back at the prophet. And they said he was conspiring with the enemies of Judah who were forming an alliance to destroy Judah. The royal house was saying, if anyone opposes our alliance with the empire of Assyria, they're being disloyal to our nation. And if Isaiah tells the people not to form this alliance, he's committing treason. He's conspiring with our enemies. And in response, Isaiah tells his followers, don't get caught up in all that conspiracy language. Let the politics of the nation be what they are. Your first loyalty always belongs to the Lord your God. Remember, the counsel of the nations are coming to nothing. The nations are all going to be broken, but the people of God will remain. And that does speak to Christians at Christmas time. You're not about political alliances. You're about alliances with the Lord our God. At year's end, we can't help but reflect on the partnership of so many across Canada that make this Bible teaching ministry possible particularly the important role our monthly partners play in providing consistent, reliable, foundational support for every resource Back to the Bible Canada has to offer. Recently, Jane wrote these words of encouragement. As monthly partners, my husband and I count it a great privilege to financially support Back to the Bible Canada. It's just a small but important way for us to partner in the gospel. Through listening to Dr. John's podcasts, we are challenged to know the Bible and prioritize our relationship with our Savior. Jane, your commitment to Bible teaching means so much. Perhaps as we look to a new year, others might join with Jane as a partner in the gospel by becoming a monthly partner. All you need to do is call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Christmas tells us that God is with us. Did you hear that? God is with those who trust in Him. Did you forget who it is that is with us? It's God that is with us. Listen to Isaiah's own words, and they're taken from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. 
Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, how we overestimate the power of the state, the power of great world rulers, and how we underestimate the power of God. How foolish we have been not to have understood the sign that came from heaven. A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You know, the early Christians were charged with treason against Caesar when they refused to confess that Caesar was Lord. And in today's world, Christians might be looked on with suspicion from both the political left and the political right. But we're not interested in party politics. We're interested in the kingdom of God. And we don't have to form alliances with the ungodly. Our God is the creator of the ends of the earth, and his power is given to those who hope in him. Our hope is in God and not in elections. And furthermore, the Lord promised in verses 14 and 15, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. That is to say, Everyone is going to experience God in one way or the other. He will either be your safety or he will be your ruin. But you will not avoid God. You know, King Ahaz might wrap himself in the garb of an alliance with Assyria, but he's naked before the God who made him. He will have made his decision. Shall the great God be his sanctuary? Or shall he be the stone of offense, the rock upon which he is broken into pieces? But whatever he decides... His destiny is not with Assyria, it is with God. It's no different today. Prime ministers and presidents, party politics, insiders and outsiders, they have a destiny with God. Doesn't matter what you claim your values are, you're going to stand before God. Now then, having made that point, that the faithful remnant is to trust wholly in the Lord in difficult times, Isaiah now tells the faithful remnant that there is a certain attitude that they must cultivate in these days. Isaiah 8, 17 and 18. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Well, let's talk about Isaiah's children for just a moment, shall we? He had two boys, remember? His oldest son was named Shear Jeshuv, and that name meant a remnant will return. That meant that at some time in the future, the people of Israel would suffer a major destruction so that one might think that the chosen people of God had been destroyed. Not so. A remnant, small group of people faithful to their God would return to the promised land. The future and the land belong to the faithful people of God. Don't be afraid of the sword and the spear. God is your hope. And then Isaiah's second son, Machershel el-Hashbaz. His name means plunder speeds, spoil hastens. God appoints the day of judgment, and when that day comes, it's going to come quickly, and no one will be able to charm it away. Now, those two children were a sign from the Lord that God determines the future of nations, not global politics. God is the ultimate king. He's the only savior. 
those who look to politics to save will be badly disappointed. Now, it might be at the present moment that God has hidden his purposes from the unfaithful people of Judah. They didn't understand what God was doing, but God's people are waiting on the Lord. I mean, after all, God had given a sign, and that is for us the Christmas message, a virgin has conceived. Again, it's so very easy to take this and apply it to our Christmas. Look, Christians know that the child that was born in a manger will one day rule the earth. That truth might be hidden from the nations, but it's well known among the faithful remnant. We know that the future does not belong to the nations of this world. The future belongs to King Jesus. In the end, he will stand and rule upon the earth. David said that he would rule the nations with a rod of iron. Dear faithful remnant of God, don't you fear the experts who speak about the trends and who say, you're going to be left behind the, the trends of the day. There are new values, and those new values will soon eclipse everything you believe. Isaiah responds, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. All right, we come now to the end of chapter 8. I'm reading verses 19 to 22. And when they say to you, inquire of mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living, to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. You know, in Isaiah's day, the people that were regarded as especially wise, well, those were the individuals who consulted with the occultic arts. Isaiah speaks of mediums and necromancers. You know, mediums are those people who claim they can speak on behalf of the dead, and necromancers were wizards and witches who practiced all manner of magic arts in order to communicate with the dead. Now, notice how Isaiah makes fun of those people. He says they chirp and they mutter. He means that they're ventriloquists. They disguise their voices so it makes it appear that the dead are speaking, chirping and muttering. That's what Isaiah calls them. Now, the law of God strictly forbade such activity. We look at Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 to 12. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Now, in Isaiah's day, when trouble, when the winds of war, when nations you know, were forming into very powerful alliances, the royal house of Judah knew that it had to do something in order to survive. So what did they do? They did what all supposedly wise people did in that day. They went to the wisdom of the occult. And Isaiah responds, If Judah had been called to follow the Lord, they should have carefully examined the word of God. And if they had done that, what would they have found? Well, for one, in Deuteronomy 28, they would have been told that the security and the prosperity of Israel was conditioned on their willingness to submit to the Lord's commands. Deuteronomy 28 is a list of the cursings and the blessings that might befall on the land. You know, the chapter begins, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, and then it lists the blessings that would come from covenant faithfulness. 
Verse 7 says, The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. Verse 13 adds, And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down. But then come the curses that would come if they abandoned the Lord. Verse 25 says, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. See, a study of the word would have indicated that God controlled all of Israel's neighbors. God was their security. The task of the people of God was to humble themselves before God, confess their sins, submit to his ways, love the Lord with all their heart and their mind. But failure to do that would lead to ruin. And that's what Isaiah was saying. Stop going to mediums. Go to the text of Scripture. And in Scripture, learn what it means to trust the Lord. Then just do it. Trust him and entrust your future into his hands, for your salvation will come from him. What a word that is for us today. Are you afraid of the future? Do you fear for your children? Do you fear for your local church? Do you fear that you're going to be sidelined in some way? Do you fear what's going to happen at death? Isaiah says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. And then furthermore, did you miss out on the fact that God has sent you a sign. A virgin has conceived, and now you know. God is with us. Trust in him, lift up your head, look unto him for your salvation, and it will go well with your soul. John, I think from this passage comes an an interesting theme, and maybe one we don't talk about very much at Christmas, but really, What Christmas resolves for us is this whole fear issue, isn't it? Yeah. Boy, it's amazing how many fears. I mean, there's the fear of death. There's the fear of, I mean, you name it. We have so many fears. Uh, The world that we live in has a fear that, you know, maybe the climate is changing. and, And who knows what's going to happen to the earth after this? Now, I don't want to do away with the legitimacy of these fears, but I need to ask every single Christian an important question. If Christmas is true, it means that God is with us, that that he has come to dwell with us. And if God is with us, what should we fear? So let's be confident. Let's know for certain that the child in the manger is God's promise that he will not abandon his people, but that our future in God's promises is as bright as it possibly could be. Thanks so much, John. What a great promise. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Imagine walking the very streets that Jesus walked or placing your foot into the Sea of Galilee. If experiencing the very places Jesus, Paul, David, and so many others lived and taught is something you've always wanted to do, then make plans to join Back to the Bible Canada for our 2021 Israel Experience. Consider this your personal invitation to join Bible teacher Dr. John Neufeld, Laugh-Again's Phil Calloway, and very special musical guests, along with the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team for a trip of a lifetime, April 11th to the 19th, 2021. Experience the sights, sounds, history, and culture of Israel making the Bible come alive. And for those who'd like to extend their experience, we're also offering a Jordan extension. So to learn more or to register today, 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca.